0: And it got me thinking, you know, why does chocolate taste like chocolate? And why can't you just create that same flavor profile from something that's not a cacao bean?
1: Hi, everybody. Welcome back to Up To Some Good. I'm your host, Claudia. Up To Some Good is a podcast that spotlights sustainably-minded entrepreneurs and changemakers. Season two of the podcast is all about food. I'll be speaking to guests about how they're building food businesses that improve our environment and uplift global communities. This podcast is sponsored by Mission Kitchen. Mission Kitchen is a shared workspace built to support up-and-coming food entrepreneurs in London. It offers flexible memberships that give you access to commercial kitchens, a co-working space, and inspiring events. More than 100 exciting food startups now call it home. So, if you run a growing food business and you're looking for a kitchen where you can upgrade your production or product development, or a workspace where you can connect with other founders, you really should check out Mission Kitchen. Check out their website to arrange a tour at missionkitchen.org. Today, I'm speaking to the founders of Win Win Food Labs, Aaron Park and Johnny Drain. This episode is particularly suitable for the week of Halloween because Win Win is a startup that produces cacao free chocolate, or alt chalk. Winwin's wins chocolate tastes, snaps, and even bakes like chocolate. Co-founder Johnny Drain is a food consultant with a PhD in material science. Before launching Win-Win Food Labs, Johnny was already actively using his knowledge in food science to improve the food industry. He used his knowledge of fermentation and materials to help some of the world's best restaurants, such as Noma, to help create their own fermented products and go zero waste. Johnny is also the founder of Mold, a magazine exploring the future of food and how design can help to feed a hungry planet. Winwin's other co-founder, Aaron Park, has a completely different background. Born in Hawaii to Korean parents, she grew up in California. After graduating with an MBA at the NYU School of Business, she worked in investment banking, advising on stock market flotations around the world. Despite this, she's always had an interest in fermented foods and gut health, which stemmed from her childhood eating fermented vegetables like kimchi. During COVID, Aram decided to explore an alternative career and after reaching out to over a hundred contacts, was finally connected to Johnny by a mutual friend. They bonded over their mutual interest in fermentation and desire to improve the global food system. And their answer to this is Win Win Food Labs. By creating cacao-free chocolate, the company removes the need for cacao beans, which, as I've explored during previous episodes, actually has quite a dark side. Slave labor and child labor are rampant in the cacao supply chain. According to the latest statistics, there are 1 million children working within the cacao supply chain in West Africa. And on top of this, cacao beans actually produce a large amount of CO2. According to the founders, cacao beans emit more CO2 per pound than cheese, lamb, or chicken. By taking out the cacao factor, Aram and Johnny have created chocolates that are more ethical and sustainable. During this episode, we talked all about fermentation, the magic of all Chalk and their vision for Win-Win Food Labs. Now I'd like to welcome Aram and Johnny onto the podcast. Hi Johnny and Aram, welcome to Up to Some Good. Thank you so much for being with me here today.
0: Hey Claudia, nice to meet you. Thanks for having us.
1: Thanks, it's really excited to be on here. Thanks for joining me especially because I know you're actually on holiday in Morocco so thank you for carving out time for this. Before we start talking about Win-Win Food Labs and everything about your company, I actually wanted to ask about the name. Why did you decide to call it WN? Is there a reason behind this name? There <laughs> is.
0: It's actually pronounced Win Win Food Labs. And oh, uh,
1: Win Win. Okay.
0: Yeah. So but what, it's good. lots of people, lots of people make this. It's hard. It's too harsh to call it a mistake because we spell it WNWN. But it stood originally for the phrase Waste Not Want Not, which was a an ethos that Aram and I bonded over when we were first introduced to each other about two years ago. And it's something that I think runs at the core, although we're we're now actually working not so much with byproducts. We work with Virgin materials, although there's an idea of leveraging the many untapped byproducts and wastes in the future. But that ethos of Waste Not What Not runs the DNA of the company.
1: Oh, okay. Now that makes sense. That's a very clever play on that phrase, actually. I love that. So... I recently read an interview on Wired magazine about how you two met. And I thought it was very interesting that you, first of all, you met by connecting on Instagram and then you didn't even meet in person before you incorporated the company. I feel like it's actually very difficult to find founders that have mutual interests and values, first of all. And the fact that you even incorporated before meeting is incredible. Can you tell me more about this process and why you decided to found the company with each other?
2: I can take that one. So I was in investment banking at that time and I was super jaded. I was not happy where I was. I didn't see myself in that type of career for the rest of my life, to be honest. So I reached out to every single person I knew within food tech, within VC, worked mildly with fermentation within my network. And that's how somehow someone somewhere was like, you need to talk to Dr. Johnny Drain, but the only connect I have for you is his Instagram. You need to DM him. So I took a leap of faith. I don't really enjoy doing cold emails or cold instas, but I slid into Johnny's DMs. I was like 18, almost two years ago. And I really had no hopes that Johnny would even respond back. But somehow he did. And we just hit it off. At that point, I was just willing to talk to anyone about potentially starting up a company, working in fermentation, harnessing that kind of power to create food and like a better food supply for the entire world. And I think Johnny and I, we just share that type of love. And then we both understand that so many people bond through food and we can bring that to people.
0: I think also that that idea of the challenge of finding a a co-founder who you get on with and doesn't just like share your values or your vision or your ideas, Mm -hmm. but has a complementary skill set. And then B, you get on well and you don't hate each other. That's what 50% of all of these accelerators are. And it's a major reason of why so many very early stage startups fail. So I think we were just both very lucky. And I know Aram spoke to lots of people in her search. And then from my side, I'd already been sat on some of these ideas of food tech companies I wanted to start for a few years and hadn't found the right person. So when we found each other, as it were, we really did just lock in and be like, okay, this I get this person, they get me. We have a great shared skill set, and let's do this.
1: Wow, that is really inspiring. Because yeah, I in the future would hope to start something related to nutrition. Wellness, sustainability as well. And I think I know it's going to be quite a long process of trying to find someone that's my values and skill sets and everything or complements them. But hearing your story makes me more hopeful that person does exist. <laughs> but I didn't realize that you already both wanted to start something specifically related to fermentation. Is there a reason why specifically fermentation? Dr. Johnny Jane, I know that you are a fermentation expert And, and that, that does make sense to me, but for a rum, is there a reason why you're so interested in fermentation?
2: Yeah. So my background, I guess it's more personal for me. So I'm Korean American. And so my parents are Korean and I always grew up in a household where food waste was unheard of. You ate every single kernel of rice and my mom would always make homemade kimchi and other pickled vegetables. And for me, it was so interesting because you transform a humble vegetable from something that personally, I never really liked to eat into something so delicious. And that's fermentation. It's microbes. It's actually, you know, the wild yeast and things, delicious, amazing things in your hands and then the air. And my mom understood that and it was ingrained in us. And that's why I think it just ran through my DNA. And I decided, you know what, we can definitely use this type of power to transform other things. And we can apply it to so many other things. And I took it more from the financial business point of view, which was the food tech was up on the rise. I started to see more precision fermentation companies come up, but there are many uh, of experiences out there from different cultures and heritages. It's like, how do we actually use that type of experience as well? And Johnny really understands that. So that's, that was another match made in heaven, to be honest.
1: Yeah. Which takes us on to your company and your product, which is cacao-free chocolate. So out of all the different potential products you can make, you can ferment, which like you said, there's a huge range from vegetables to drinks, why chocolate?
2: So the business answer would be is chocolate is a very stale industry. Innovation is very hard to come by in this industry. I think the last major innovation was ruby chocolate done by Barry Calabo. But if you look at the ingredient itself, it really hasn't changed. So, you know, when the management consultant looks at them, they're like, oh, wow, there's maybe something here that we can change and shake up. And the industry itself have A very difficult sustainability and ethics story behind it. And that's why we started getting very excited about if there is an analog that is more sustainable and more ethical, why don't we actually try to bring that to market?
0: Yeah. And then the fun answer is when we first started talking, we were talking about can you valorize repurpose waste streams using the power of fermentation? And the answer, of course, is yes. And we had this chat one day where we were like, okay, if we do a company around your condiments, if we do a company around vegan mayonnaise or something, we're going to have to eat vegan mayonnaise every day for the next five <laughs> years of our life. And we it's see each terrible. other and we're like, would we rather eat chocolate every day yeah, or something that's similar to chocolate?
1: An excuse to eat and like mark do lots of market research and eat chocolate every day. That makes a lot of sense.
0: So when we realized that, and we both love chocolate and still love chocolate and look, there's lots of amazing people making great chocolate with great ethics and credentials and uh, we support them absolutely. But we both get very excited as uh, all of our team get excited about chocolate. So we realized that if we, uh, if we're going to do this for a long time, we, we needed to want to eat this stuff every day.
1: Yeah. Amazing. That is an amazing reason. So now let's move on to your chocolate, the product itself. Before I found out about your company, I didn't even know that chocolate needs to be fermented during the production process. Can you tell me more about how your production process differentiates or is different from the normal conventional chocolate production process?
0: Yes, I think lots of people that eat eat lots of chocolate or even a little bit of chocolate don't realize that it is fermented. Ditto coffee. And actually, when you look at most of the world's favorite foods, lots and lots of them are fermented. So Mm -hmm. fermentation is almost the sort of The rule rather than the exception to the rule so with chocolate you basically people grow cacao beans and then they get fermented continuously by a bunch of different organisms and that normally happens on the forest floor in kind of piles once they've been picked and then they will be sent somewhere and roasted and then those roasted fermented beans get melanged and and blended into chocolate and if you don't both of those steps the roasting and the fermenting are key and if you do either one of, if you don't do either one of them or you do them differently, you'll end up with something that doesn't quite taste like the chocolate that many of us know and love. And what we've done is very simple. We've taken that philosophy that, that of how chocolate has been made for hundreds of years, and uh, just copied it with a few diff- key differences. So one, we're not using cacao, we're using other plant-based ingredients like cereals and legumes. We can talk about the why and the wherefore of those in a bit later. Secondly, when we do that fermentation step, we're doing that not on the forest floor or in some, in Epping Forest in Britain or whatever, we're doing it in a factory or a lab, and we're do, using slightly different organisms, microorganisms, so in the same way that you make cheese with different microorganisms you, than you make beer. We're using slightly different organisms that, that are conventionally used to make chocolate. And then there's a roasting step, which is quite similar. And then the melanging step and the mixing and tempering, all of that is very similar. So we're only really we're innovating in a couple of key parts of that chocolate production chain, but philosophically we're starting with whole ingredients. We use ingredients I could come over to your house and take things from your cupboard and we could turn those using our process into the sort of chocolate, the cacao free chocolate that we've been mm-hmm. making.
1: Wow, that's fascinating. So going back to the point about using cereals and legumes, how did you find out that can create like a sort of chocolate type of flavor? And if depending on the types you use, does it does the flavor taste different?
0: Yeah, I'll start with the kind of anecdote about what, how I originally had this idea. So this was about, I actually can't remember exactly when it was, but it was at least five years because it was when my, it was at my parents' house and they've since moved house and they moved house about five years ago, but I was cooking, boiling some potatoes and the potatoes had kind of gone a bit green and a bit, they're a bit past their best. And as I was boiling them, I lent over this saucepan and I smelled the steam and it smelled like chocolate, smelled like hot chocolate. And a little light bulb went off in my head because I'm basically, a, a, well, I'm not a food scientist, but I'm a scientist that works with food. And I thought, ah, there must be some chemical compound, an aroma compound that's in the potato skins that's also in chocolate. And I did a bit of digging and there is one of those compounds that's shared between those things. And it got me thinking, you know, why does chocolate taste like chocolate? And why can't you just create that same flavor profile from something that's not a cacao bean? And when we look, when you look at why does a biscuit taste like a biscuit or an orange or like an orange or an apple like an apple, if you look at it through the visor, through the visor of, of a chemist or a food scientist, all of our food is just made of chemical compounds. And some people, you might use that phrase chemical compounds, and it sounds bad or it's evil, but it's all of our food, whether it's an apple or it's like the most highly processed Twinkie bar or whatever, it's all made of chemical compounds, aroma compounds and flavor compounds, taste compounds. And the ones that are in a chocolate bar, there's, let's say, several hundred. And depending on which chocolate bar you buy, they're different, but they just come. They're derived from that roasting step and that fermentation step and originally from the proteins and the carbohydrates and the sugars that are in that cacao bean. And so the question is, what happens if you change the cacao bean to a grain of rice or if you changed it to a potato you just have to figure out those pathways that would get you to that final set of taste and aroma compounds that I, that characterize the chocolate that we know and love. And it's not impossible, but maybe just people haven't done it before because we didn't have the scientific insight that we have now 20 years ago. We're in a real sort of golden era of the science of chocolate where now we understand a lot about that chemical composition of chocolate bars. And we also understand those microorganisms that have done that fermentation step.
1: Mm hmm. Wow. I'm no scientist at all. But the way you put it almost makes it sound like really fun, actually, like a puzzle, how you take away one part and then try to experiment and substitute it with other things. Yeah.
0: It's it's very fun and it's very creative and yeah. it's what chefs do in kitchens and cooks do in kitchens all of the time. It's experimental and it's sometimes it's led by intuition and memories of flavor or feelings. And sometimes it's we definitely have hard insight by scientific techniques as well, but it's very creative.
1: And so normal cacao beans have caffeine in it. Does I'm just wondering whether your version also has that or not
2: no so our version is amazingly enough caffeine free so this means you can eat our chocolate before bed which i do quite a lot and it's also theobromine free i eat it before bed anyways sorry what- i'm <laughs> guilty of that so the other compound we're actually free of as well is theobromine so that's a very key compound within chocolates but it's only present in there but that's why dogs actually can't eat chocolates and they could actually oh, unfortunately so- pass away or they have to be taken to the hospital but with ours like you say you can share it with your puppy oh because it's how do you pronounce that ingredient
1: Theobromine. oh so that's the is it a chemical but the it's the chemical or compound that the dogs are Allergic to or that can't eat. Exactly. Does that affect the flavor or texture at all?
0: Yeah, so theobromine, it would have a slightly, if you isolated it, it would have a slightly bitter taste. So some of the bitterness, the bitterness in chocolate comes from a a bunch of different chemical compounds, including caffeine. Caffeine has a slightly bitter taste if you try Mm -hmm. it isolated. So that bitterness in chocolate comes from um, a bunch of bitter compounds, but caffeine and theobromine are two that that our cacao free chocolate doesn't have.
1: I see, apart from the interest in fermented products. I know a big reason for launching Win Win Food Labs and launching the cacao-free chocolate is because you're aware of the problematic cacao supply chain, which is full of, there, there are many instances of slave labor and child labor involved in the cocoa supply chain, especially in Western Africa. And is that the main reason why you decided to launch this product? It's
2: one of the ma- many reasons why we decided to launch this product. So if you just, there's the climate angle, there's also the ethics and the labor instances. So you need to take a step back and look at the entire picture because not the entire industry is not representative of that. About 70% of the world's chocolate comes from West Africa and when you look at the chocolate that is produced there and you're looking at emissions, you know, you have two and a half more emissions per kilo than, say, chicken. You have more water use than pork. About eight times more water is used. And then you have a huge, a vast area that's been deforested as well. So chocolate tends to have this very large footprint in terms of carbon emissions, water use, and deforestation. And then the ethics is also another part of it. So that's why we decided, you know what, there needs to be a better way of how we consume chocolate in the mass market way. Sorry,
0: John. Yeah, if we just zoom out a little bit from that, the average consumer probably these days in 2022 is aware of the factory farming of meats Mm -hmm. and how the dairy industry maybe works and, and some issues around the production of seafood. But actually that those dark secrets that the chocolate and cacao industry hides are not really particularly well understood by the average consumer and definitely part of our role as a company and there are other great people doing it in in the world of chocolate is to shine a light on the fact that these practices the ethics slave labor child labor are happening and they've been happening for many years Mm -hmm. i'm actually just at my desk and i have this copy of the tony's chocolate only annual report 2020 to 2021 and think they probably give it away for free but that's a very good resource for just really if you know nothing about the chocolate industry having a quick read and seeing actually that there's a lot of awful things that happen to produce that sweet treat that many of us buy
1: absolutely i'm actually a a big fan of tony's chocolate as well and that's how i originally found out of the instances of slave labor and child labor in the cocoa supply chain because what they've done is also very creative they break the chocolate bar into very uneven bits to even visually remind you that the supply chain is very imbalanced and people who are working hard are not getting the, the amount of money they deserve.
0: Yeah. The one thing to say about Tony's, and we definitely, I think, as individuals and as a company have a lot of respect for what Tony's Chocoloni do. Their whole MO is that they are slave labor free, Ooh. yet they've actually been found to have slave labor in their supply chain. And they've, they've been very good about it. I think they've owned it, they've admitted to it, and they've said, look, this is just how entrenched... These labor, awful labor practices are in the cacao industry. Even a company who are trying their utmost to to avoid using slave labor cannot do that. And that's one of the reasons why we're trying to provide a a cacao free alternative. I
1: see. But I guess when you talk about supply chains, whatever supply chain it is, even if it's like the cereal and legume supply chain, there's still it might still be very translucent and it's still hard to monitor exactly and trace exactly where the sources of the primary products come from, I guess. Is there a way you also track your materials?
0: Yeah, it's definitely most food supply chains are complex. Very few of the ingredients most people Definitely in the UK are eating these days, they would be able, they would, for example, know the farmer that's produced them. But there are certain supply chains which are shorter and/or more transparent and well documented and better audited than others. And unfortunately, the general supply chains for cacao, the ones that supply the mass commoditized the sort of cheapest commoditized chocolate are very highly obscured and you know that it's it functions that way for a reason because There's not much will because of the economics of that supply chain and those supply chains. There's not a huge amount of will to change that and therefore change by the governments and definitely multinationals who are selling the final product have moved very little in the last 20, 30 years, despite spending a lot of money on saying that they're going to make change.
1: Yeah, I agree with you. It is a very systemic problem, and it's something that is, it requires multiple stakeholders to, to all play a role in it to really change it. Absolutely. Like you said just now, there are actually many other brands that are also trying to source cocoa in a more sustainable way, and they're also, say, using a more sustainable packaging. Have you ever considered maybe this approach of just sourcing the original... Tr- uh, materials of chocolate in a more sustainable way instead of completely replacing the cacao with something else?
2: I think we're all part of the entire solution to changing this industry. So when you talk to these companies that are going from the ground up, say, let's talk directly to the farmer, make the most sustainable product whatsoever, these products tend to be priced at a premium. It's They are considered luxury goods, or you tend to do smaller batches. The challenge is when you want to actually make impact at scale and do huge change in an industry-wide, say there's that Twix, these are the problematic chocolates that people consume at Halloween or Easter. So when we're talking about changing that stuff, that's where the challenge comes in because then it becomes a lot harder to then source millions of tons of cocoa, from these reputable sources making sure the packaging is sustainable and that's the conversation that we want to then change and say there is room for all of us to change different parts of what the chocolate story is going to be in the next 10 years
0: and the other thing to add to that is just that there's already loads of those companies and they're doing great work sourcing high-ethic chocolate and of course we could have chosen to do that but we felt if you look at just how slow change in the cacao industry and chocolate industry has been, we felt that we were better serving this kind of collective shared aim that we share with lots of other brilliant people by doing something slightly different. And yeah, we think that this approach... Is complementary to those amazing people mm. doing that sort of work.
1: Yeah, I agree with you as well. There are different ways to solve a problem. And obviously when you have expertise in something like yourself, you should leverage it. And I think that's an amazing way to to contribute as well. Going back to Aram's point on pricing, it, it is very difficult to compete with the chocolate monopoly brands because they're because of scale. Do you have a plan in place where you will be scaling win wins chocolate?
2: That is in motion as we speak right now. We've scaled up a couple rungs of that ladder already, but we're looking to build out a larger facility in London and also in Portugal. But that means that a we can start mass producing our alt chalk and we can our cacao free chocolate, and that means we can get that into consumers' hands and also as an ingredient to other confectionery or chocolate companies. And that is eventually the aim because our inputs are abundant They're, They're much more inexpensive and we pick them for those reasons so that we can actually sustainably grow this business as well.
1: Actually, I do have a very important question, which is where can I actually buy your all chocolate? Because I've been trying to find it, but I haven't seen it anywhere near me yet.
0: Yeah. So at the minute, we've just been doing very limited edition product drops. We've done two of those so far and actually so there are a few other companies in the world doing this cacao free chocolate but we are actually the youngest company and the first to bring a product to market in the world ever for sale so we kind of ahead of the curve with that said we just did a product drop of our version of what's called a dime which you might be familiar with we call it a wine bar w-a-i-m and we sold out of that within the first day However, if you keep your eyes peeled on the Instagram channel or LinkedIn or the website, there's an email sign up there. We will alert you of the next product drop, and it might be a Santa Claus shaped product drop of some sort. So that's when you might expect to see the next drop.
1: Okay. I will keep my eyes wide open. And also, to my listeners, I will also put a link to the website in the podcast description so you can also t- try their chocolate near you. So, Going back again to Aram's point on on the bigger chocolate companies, which are the most problematic, there is basically I feel an emotional connection to certain types of chocolate as well. Sometimes you would just crave like a Kit Kat or a Dairy Milk just because you grew up with it, you grew up seeing it. Have you like how do your consumers or potential consumers receive the fact that you guys are producing cacao free chocolate? Are they open to it, or do they just say this is not the type of chocolate I'm familiar with, so I'm not really going to try it?
0: I think so far, I mean, there's been a a bit of pushback from people who've either tried it or mostly from sort of people on the internet who haven't quite understood what we're doing. And that's why we like doing longer form interviews like this, where we can talk and unpack the issues a little bit more rather than someone just seeing an Instagram post and being like, oh, I don't like what they're doing. I don't like them. So we've had a bit of that. That's part of doing something big and innovative and progressive hopefully but most people are really into it and they see they understand why we're doing it and they see and understand the need for it and look fundamentally my background is working with sort of michelin-starred restaurants even though i'm a scientist and so deliciousness and flavor and rum spoke passionately at the top of the, the episode about her growing up and what food meant to her and we're both and in fact it applies to everybody we love food and care about food and deliciousness is paramount and so we're releasing products releasing making cacao free chocolate that is fundamentally delicious and if you think about it the experience of eating a Twix is very different to the experience of eating a Mars bar or a galaxy something those are they're all chocolate bars but they're really different and lots of people might like a Twix, but hate a Snickers bar or vice versa. And what we're doing also, f- fundamentally, is just presenting another type of candy bar that some other people might like and some other people might not like. But we're just giving another option in to a range of consumer goods where there is all, already a huge range of options.
2: And
1: where do you guys see yourself pos- positioned in the market? Like, there are different price ranges for chocolate bars and there are the Twix, Kit Kat, Snickers and also the top range do you have a vision for that or do you just see it as you you're almost different from any of those because you're a cacao free chocolate brand
2: i would say for the limited edition drops there's something very special they are it's a completely new product it's launching a new category And they're quite fun. So those are more in line with, say, your premium bars. But our long-term vision, though, is really to bring that price rapidly down and to play amongst, you know, aquas that you know of. You envision Win-Win being present in the supermarket where you find your Kit Kats, your Mars bars, and us to be solidly there and for people to pick us like they would pick those other bars as well. So actually, I
1: also read on Wired Magazine that you are starting an AI platform called Alfred. Can you tell me more about that as well as just the general vision for the next few years for Women Food Labs?
0: So I'll take the first part of the question. So actually the wide the article we did very, when we were very young, maybe like three months, I suppose we spoke about some things which um, were ideas at the time, which we haven't necessarily pushed forward, but my background, my PhD was in computational modeling. And so you know, we had this idea and still have it to systematize and create a an, uh, software platform to automate our R&D methodology now. Mm-hmm. As it stands, we, we haven't taken that forward and it has a very snappy name, Alfred, AI-led flavor discovery. Um, we haven't really pushed it forward, but th- there are other people in the food tech world who are doing similar things to that. We may pursue Alfred fully in the future, but at the minute, it's something we're sat on, and we have a rough outline of, you know, the methodologies we would use and and what things, what which parts of Alfred's brain we would have to connect to each other and how we how we would do it. But at the minute, Alfred doesn't exist in the in the the way we might have talked about it back in well 2021 at some
1: point. Mm-hmm. I mean, as long as you're continuing to to chocolate, I don't really mind.
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> right. <laughs>
2: actually so that you know what what do we see ourselves doing long term so chocolate for us is really just the beginning um so continuing along the lines of delicious things that we can do um so the other products actually that we can apply the same r&d the same fermentation roasting principles to would be you know coffee tea vanilla they all have very similar problematic supply chain issues um also ingredients that would be very much affected by climate change in the future. Um, so our future vision is actually to start leading that ingredient revolution. So the proteins have, not, have started already, but now we're looking at expanding that universe of other items.
1: Oh, wow, okay. So can you hint at maybe the next item you have in store or is it completely secret?
0: We've been quite open. I mean, coffee would be the next thing we would do. Okay. And that's also because we love coffee. Um, it's also because there are, you know, there are issues in the coffee supply chains and also i suppose flavour wise there's a lot of overlap between why coffee tastes like coffee why chocolate tastes like chocolate and so that's sort of well within our reach and you know we're not the first, well there there are people already doing that so companies like compound coffee atomo one in the netherlands just started called northern wonder so we're very excited to try their products and and you know see what they do in the market
2: plus these are two items that taste amazing together in the morning so why not we're gonna round out that gift basket but it would be caffeine free
0: well we you know we would probably do both versions so the kind of somewhat like our chocolate the coffee we make will almost certainly be naturally caffeine free but what those companies that i just mentioned do they all do a decaf and a, and a caffeinated version um so you could just add the caffeine in you know you can buy isolated caffeine so it would be naturally caffeine free which is obviously of interest to Uh lots of people
1: wow this is really interesting okay so um i mean we can talk for ages longer but let's move on to the up to some good questions um so i'd love for you to answer this separately um first of all what do you enjoy doing when you're up to no good and it doesn't have to be anything illegal or like technically bad, but just when you have a break, when you are not working on Women Food Labs, what do you enjoy doing? I yeah. can take yeah. it.
2: So for me I have two two of my favorite activities. They yeah. both start yeah. with S. So either you'll find me sleeping or you'll find me surfing.
1: Okay. Okay. Oh, no wonder you're in Portugal. That makes a lot of sense now. <laughs>
2: Yeah, that's also why I decided to take my annual leave here in Morocco. It's the same time zone, so I can take a lot of my calls, but it also means I can enjoy the sunshine and go surfing also.
1: (laughs) Glad to know that you're doing things that are both amazing for your mental health and for your body. (laughs) What about you, Johnny?
0: So from my side, I mean, you know, if we're talking about startup life, one of the things to definitely communicate to listeners is that you don't necessarily have all that much free time. And there's a lot of sort of cognitive load. But, um, I mean, historically, I've always played a lot of music, so I still enjoy, um, you know, making music in various um, various ways, whether that's kind of actually playing the piano guitar or, or you know, making kind of tracks. Um, and I'm also a big fan of sleeping, and actually, I mean, sure. <laughs> I eat and drink quite a lot as well, so going to sort of nice restaurants or... Well, actually, I, I mean, I like that full scale of food, so, you know, street food, super super casual food and just you know tasting things i'm interested in flavor and you know why tasting new things and why stuff tastes like like it does
1: yeah um i mean yeah me too i i love i love eating in general um so so that's why i decided to focus my podcast on sustainable food okay so the second question is who is an individual or business that is up to some good and again i'd love for you to answer this separately
0: I mean, I I can go first. I mean, I'm probably biased because I get to, in the last seven or eight years, so before we founded Women Food Labs, I was functioning as a a consultant for lots of bars and restaurants, quite famous ones, some of them, around the world. And so I've actually got to work with real pioneers in the field. So I would say two people who, and I say them, well, they are my friends now, but I I say them because they've had a huge influence on my career, but they're also... Absolute pioneers in their field, but one is a guy called um, a chef called Doug McMaster, who has a restaurant called Silo, arguably the world's first zero waste restaurant. And I've
1: been to Silo. You know, if you read,
0: it's phenomenal food and the ethos and and the, the the system that Doug has created from scratch with Silo is just is is an incredible. you know he's a, a true visionary. And then also um, a guy called Mr. Lion, Ryan shetty Wardner who um, is kind of you know a cocktail guru but so much more than that his thinking has really had a dramatic effect on the 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 hospitality industries you know specifically the bar and cocktail world but lots of his ideas in the last 10-15 years have now you know trickled through to to the way lots of people run their bars and restaurants and um, ideas of you know food waste or you know flavor and, and how we how we make things in the hospitality industry. So those are two of my big you know, pillars of mm-hmm. people I really love and appreciate.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, i out Mr to check out Mr. Lyons, some of Mr. Lyon's co- uh, bars in, in London.
0: Yeah, so the, the the flagship bar I guess in London now is Lioness Bar, but Seed Library as well. And actually, yeah. I mean, this is a perfect um, seg, but hopefully we there will be some win-win cacao chocolate on the next Lioness menu. Um, so mm-hmm. definitely go down and try that.
1: I will, I will for sure.
2: Oh, so I was gonna take it from a completely different angle, which is actually, you know, looking at companies that are doing some good. So one of my favorites to actually talk about is Too Good To Go. Um, so they, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. you find them on your phone and you just order, you know, any, it's like a mystery bag, right? And I love it. They call it magic bag okay. and it's amazing. And I use, it's so good. I mean, you it's just like leftovers from restaurants or anything they would have wasted. Um, and I think that really fits into who we are as a company as well. But I think that's a, a mentality that many people need to shift is, you know, you need to stop throwing away things that are perfectly good. That expiration date means nothing. Um, follow your nose. Yeah, but They're doing an amazing job and I love their platform. Yeah.
1: I love how you said follow your nose. Um, okay. So this is the end of the podcast. And I just thank you both so much for for your time, for for doing what you're doing and innovating in this area of, of like sustainable food and creating alternative cocoa-free chocolate. I think, um, yeah, I'm just very inspired by you and your mission, and I'm excited to taste it and to taste your coffee and anything else that you're creating in the future. So for listeners who want to find out more about you, where can they look?
0: So definitely um, jump over to our Instagram, which is winwinwnwnfoodlabs, um, and our our website um you know we're quite active on linkedin as well um, as individuals and as a company um i was just going to say you know we should also you know we work in the cacao chocolate industry we should give a shout out to some of our favorite chocolate pioneers and so I'll, i'll give you two so one is a very um good old friend of ours a guy called Phil who has a company called land chocolate based in London. They're in mm-hmm. green now. I think mm-hmm. um, Phil makes incredible chocolate, um, you know, transparent sourcing knows where the beans are from, et cetera, et cetera. And it's delicious. So definitely support him. You know, he's basically a, an independent um, London based business. And another company that we really like is a company in um, Denmark called Choco Gourmet spelled X O C O and Thomas um, the head of that company. Has set up a system whereby they're working um, with the people that grow the beans. And again, ideas of really short supply chains, transparent supply chains, and really making sure that the people who are growing the cacao beans are getting paid fairly and rewarded equitably in a way that doesn't, simply doesn't happen for most of the rest of the cacao world.
1: Mm, amazing. Thank you for spotlighting these companies. Um, I mean, like, there's still so much work to be done in the area of supply chains and eradicating slave labor. but so glad to hear that there are many players like yourselves who are in in the arena already and trying your best to to do your work and um and continue to to change people's lives so thank you so much thank you again for listening to up to some good any links and resources mentioned in this episode are listed in the episode description if you want to read a written summary of this podcast you can find it under the episode section of my website www.claudia1ee.com If you want to support the podcast, the best way is to subscribe to it on Spotify, Apple, or whatever platform you use to tune in. It would also mean a lot to me if you can rate and leave a review on Apple. We will be publishing weekly episodes every Thursday, so keep your ears out for new episodes. In the meantime, stay healthy and remember to do some good.